This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. I think we just used that experience that we had last year in terms of fulfilling your ultimate dream of winning the Stanley Cup and realizing how amazing that feeling is. You know, that was kind of one of the first thoughts for a lot of the guys was when we had the cup and we were with the cup and spending time with the cup was like, we can't wait to do this again because it's so amazing. And that's just kind of been the mindset all season long. We put ourselves in a position to do that now. It is amazing. It's amazing that we have the opportunity to cover this team with their immense abilities and hopefully the opportunity to repeat once again and taking on the Montreal Canadiens game one tonight at Amelie Arena. I am Greg Linelli, Dave Mishkin with me along with Steve Versnick. It's one hour of Hockey Talk at Bolts Radio. Hit us up there or at Dave Mishkin or at Greg Linelli. We've already got a lot of questions coming in, comments about the series, what to expect from the Canadians. It's a team we haven't seen for a pretty good amount of time because of circumstances. But, Dave, I, I think we probably need to reflect a little bit more before we look at this series because you don't get here unless you take care of business in a Game 7 against the Islanders. And what was so fascinating about that shutout win against New York on Friday is the fact that there was so much talk about defense, defense, defense when it came to the Islanders that when you take a look at the seven games, the Lightning gave up, what, 11 goals. And it really was the defense that led the way, in addition to some great puck possession. But they say defense wins championships, offense wins games. And boy, oh boy, that series against the Islanders was a uh, pretty good example of not only how versatile Tampa Bay is, Dave, they can score with the best of them, but also, too, when they have to, they can defend. And that's what they did in Game 7 against the Islanders. Well, first of all, Greg, it's I don't know if it's unfortunate or, or weird timing in that we have one show to recap game seven and preview game one, just the way it worked out. A lot to get into. Not yeah. that we were signing up to do one of these shows over the weekend. I don't know about you. I, I certainly was able to relish a couple of days to to kind of get over the the high drama of the semifinal series and then get ready for the Stanley Cup final. So I, I for one, am glad that we did not have a show Saturday or Sunday. But we'll do our best to, as you said, pay homage to the Lightning's performance in Game 7, but also really dive in best we can to the Stanley Cup final before the puck has been dropped, even uh, for Game 1. So if you recall, Greg, especially after Game 1 of the Lightning Islander series, I think we said it before the series too, but it was it was definitely something we emphasized after game one. And that was that if the Lightning were not going to manage the puck well, you're going to struggle against any NHL team. You're going to struggle in any playoff series against a good opponent. But that is a recipe for disaster against the New York Islanders. And there are other elements that the Lightning needed to improve upon from game one. Higher compete level, more solid execution and being able to win more puck battles, getting more shots to the net, finding a way to get second opportunities if you can, defending well in front of their own net. But but it really came back to puck management. 
And I think in the four games the Lightning won in the series, one big reason why they won all four of those games, their puck management was really, really good. They really limited turnovers. They also had high urgency, high compete. They defended really well in front of their goalie. And in the three games they lost, uh, I think that they had more problems, right? I mean, we can look back at games one, four, and six and saying the Islanders had something to do with that. But there was an element of, uh, of each of those games or a segment in each of those games where the Lightning struggled in that regard. And so for them to come up with the type of performance that we saw in game seven, I mean, to say it's impressive is not doing justice to the performance that, that the Lightning put out on the ice on Friday night. That was, if it wasn't championship worthy because they haven't won a championship, that, that win didn't get them the championship. It got them the right to play for the championship. But as I wrote in my extra shift column afterward, it met the moment. That was a performance that was worthy of a Game 7 do-or-die contest in the semifinal round with a chance to go to the Stanley Cup Final. And you know what? I said to you afterward, Greg, when you came in the radio booth, we've seen performances like this before involving the Lightning in a Game 7 in that round, and they were on the other end of it. Mm -hmm. Two of them came to mind immediately. The Boston Bruins in 2011, a 1-0 win over the Lightning, and the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2016, a 2-1 win over the Lightning. I'm not including the Washington game because that game had a little bit of a different feel to it. But the other two, you're talking about a team on home ice, a chance to win game seven, and just completely locked it down defensively. Which is weird to say because the other game in there, the Washington game, was also a shutout. But I, I felt that I felt that, that game was a little bit different. The Lightning looked like the Bruins in 2011, and they looked like the Penguins in 2016 in those two Game 7 wins against the Lightning. They just, they just were, not, they were not going to give any freebies at all. Yep. They were so committed defensively for the full 60 minutes. And in the first two periods, they had a ton of puck possession. In the third period, the, Pen or the Penguins, the Islanders had more puck possession and made more of a push, but they had a hard time really getting any good looks. One here, one there, 18 shots for the game. And that was, that was a magnificent performance. We say defensively, but really it was an all-around magnificent performance. It was, and it was all the way to the end when the Islanders – pull their goaltender and Barkley Goodrow, Yanni yeah. Gord, they're killing time. Kalorn. One on four. Yeah, yeah, and just a lot of great things. Sergachev's blocking shots. Ryan McDonough, I think, was the best player on the ice. You can make a strong case. Might have been the best defenseman of that whole series. He was dynamic. This is what happens, Dave, when you pitch a shutout and everybody buys in. I think you have to in order to have a performance like that. Vassy was really good. Didn't have to be great. And made some key saves, though. The did. Beauvillier chance early in the game was no really doubt. important. And Nelson had a pretty good look right at the beginning of the third. And I'll tell you what, you know, we've talked about what do you, for the Islanders specifically, what do you do with the chances you get? Yeah, they, they had, had the only power play, and they what? hit the crossbar, the post, Beauvillier. It did. It did. Right and after Barzell? the short goal. Barzell had two flurries there late in the third period yeah. where he whiffed. One skipped over his stick. Yeah, yeah, skipped over. He had a wide open net, and the other one, I think, was blocked. So, 
the margin of error was so small, but I just thought it was interesting. The lightning, I, I think when it was all said and done, showed everybody how really good defensively they can be. And that game seven probably was more about team defense than Vassie stealing it. And that's great to see. That's a great sign. And Yanni Gord, of course, we know with the the goal to give the Lightning uh, the game-winning goal. And they just made one extra play offensively, which was nice. But but you know what? One extra play. You're right. But that was a significant defensive mistake by the Islanders. Yeah. Three Islander players chase Sorelli into the corner. And Yanni Gord finds the open spot in the middle of the ice. Now, look, he has to put the puck in the net, which he did. Varlamov was unable to stop the shot, which he had done on every other shot up yep. until that point and every yep. other shot after that point. But, like, the Beauvillier breakaway wasn't really, like, a defensive mistake by the Lightning. That's just a loose puck sliding down the ice, and Beauvillier can fly. And he, like, he won that skate race to get the chance. And if he scores there, you're like, great play by Beauvillier. A little bit of a bad break on the puck sliding down the ice the way that it did. But the Islanders have to own what happened on that shorthanded goal against. And you know what? I'm going to say this. Justice was served. Justice was served because the only penalty that was called in Game 7 was a cross-check. A cross-check on Barkley Goodrow. A cross-check that was yeah, nowhere near yeah, right. as flagrant <laughs> right, as the Mayfield cross-checks that went right. uncalled in Game 6. And can you imagine how our heads would have exploded if that would have been the call that gave the Islanders a chance to win the game? Instead, that penalty led to the only goal, and the Lightning scored it. Yeah. It was incredible. And, you know, look. We now, look, it was it was a penalty. I'm not saying it wasn't. Like, you sure. did cross-check him. But are you kidding me? I thought at the very After least. After everything that happened in Game uh, 6? And that's it, the only penalty that's called in Game 7? Those optics looked awful, for sure. And I thought the Lightning, for sure, would have gotten at least one power play opportunity. But we talked about it before Game 7. I mean, we, we didn't think yeah. there was going to be many you power thought, play you opportunities. You thought the officials would give each team maybe one or two early. And that yes. was early in the second. Yes. And that they would you know, midway through the second, basically just say, guys, whistles in the pocket, go ahead and do it. I did, you know, Maroon tried to engage Mayfield early. There, there was some of that, but they, yeah. you know, they didn't, they didn't want to drop for the next year. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be popping up next year. But the, the Beauvillier uh, partial breakaway, and I remember I had Brian on talking about this during the intermission report. And that was, I think on the surface, it looked probably more dangerous than it was. Not to say that it wasn't a dangerous shot, but the fact that he had to go a little wide yeah, on that shot, like Dave, that helped. He had to because he had to settle the puck down. He did. He did. So we'll see how that goes. And um, before we get to more of the Islanders again, I'm just reading this now on Twitter. Yoel Armia is on a private jet down to Tampa right now after getting clearance per Canadian's okay. assistant, Luke Richardson. He is a game-time decision. That Probably is from if he Dan can Rosen. get here in time. So he must he must have had a false positive. Out of protocol. That's good news. Look. For him, yeah, for sure. And he was, he was on the COVID protocol list earlier this year. Presumably, yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody announced it, but he missed like eight games. Or maybe it was eight days or something. Right. It must have been eight games. He must have had COVID, right? You would think. 
I mean, it wasn't like a situation where he was on the list for two days, like Steven Stamkos was yeah. earlier in the year when it was a false positive. Right. So, so for his sake, he's on a private jet, coming down here, and game time decision. So for yeah. him, that's a big deal for the the Canadians too, because that's going to help them shorthanded. You know, when they're on the PK, they we'll get into that. They've yeah, we will break PK. down. We will break down this series. I know that you had mentioned we've had a lot of questions from Lightning fans wanting to know, like, how has Montreal done it? So we can get into that. Yes, they deserve to be here, though. They have played really well. It's it's the perfect example of a team that gets hot at the right time. It really is because that's not a playoff team record-wise, before the playoffs began. But because of just unusual circumstances, they get in and things start to click. Yeah. And they face a lot of adversity. We'll get into that. But you're right. Once they got in, very, very tough to handle. Just ask the three teams they beat up to this point. But we'll get into them in just a bit. The Islanders series, though, before we we get to the Canadians and break down what we're going to be seeing here, I thought – Showing Tampa Bay's versatility, Dave, the previous two series, then going against the Islanders and how patient they were and how physical of a series that was. I mean, it, it was it was a grind. The Islanders made them earn every single goal and inch of the ice. And that's a credit to Barry Trotz and what he's done with that team. But I, I think also, too, we have to give some credit to the way the Lightning – were able to lock it down, not only in Game 7, but I thought they were pretty good defensively in that whole series. And we talked about the lack of finishing the Islanders have, and I think the number of goals they scored probably speaks to that a bit. And I understand Lee was out, and that's certainly a big part of their offense. But the Lightning just, they they found a different way to beat the Islanders than they did maybe in the previous two series. And I I think not a lot of teams can say that. They can beat you in a, a multitude of ways, but I think the Lightning can. And behind Vasilevsky, you always feel like you're going to be uh, in the game, but it was, I, I thought it was, it was an impressive display of defensive hockey by lighting in this series when a lot of people were talking about the Islanders being the better defensive team. Well, that's how the Lightning won the Stanley Cup last year. Absolutely. They matched, they matched the defensive level and in some instances exceeded that level of the opposition. And if they're going to play even Steven defensively with the other team, and then it comes down to a matter of which team has the ability to finish more of its chances. If you're going to look at it in that lens, through that prism, you know, usually the Lightning have an advantage. And I think that it wasn't that the Islanders didn't have some looks. And, and, and we have gone back and forth on this, Greg. Like you kept saying, the Islanders don't have the same level of finish as the Lightning. I'm like, well, in, in some of the games... They did. I mean, Bovillier's finish in overtime was a great shot. And Mayfield's shot to tie up game six, that was a great shot. We talked about the shots they made in, in game four. Josh Bailey's goal was a great shot. Matt Martin's shot was a great shot. But the Lightning were more regularly, I think, able to convert. And at maybe maybe the better way of putting it is, the Islanders never really came up with an answer for Kucherov and Point at least up until the point that Kucherov got hurt for him. And they never really came up with a solution for the Lightning power play. I saw a stat, you know, the Islanders 
penalty kill, the Lightning's power play percentage went down after that series. Yeah, it went down because it was up in the 40% for crying out loud. Right. The Lightning went, I think they finished 5 for 17 in the series on the power play. I don't care if you were clicking at 45% before that. If you're going to pop in five power play goals in 17 chances in a playoff series, you are dominating on the power play. Mm -hmm. You are. And I I don't think the Islanders were able to, they certainly weren't able to match what the Lightning were able to do when they had their power play chances. Barzell had a much better series than he did last year. And he got rewarded. You know, he, he had some goals. He had some assists. But I think as a whole, the Lightning did a fairly good job of not letting him be more damaging, right? Like, he was buzzing around a lot, and the Lightning hung in there with him, which goes to what you were saying about how well they were defending. I thought the Nelson line might have been the Islanders' most consistently dangerous line. And I remember we had Andrichuk on on our show the day of game seven and he he expressed some concern from the lightning's perspective that you know that line now has some confidence like Beauvillier especially because he got rewarded and they were probably the Islanders most dangerous line in game seven as well but what did they finish with not much I mean Bailey had a goal Nelson had a goal and Beauvillier had a goal all in separate games I thought, and Nelson's goal was was on the power play, which I think was their only power play goal that they scored for for all of I mean, for listen, all of the seven games. You score eleven goals total in a series. You're going to have a lot of guys who are quiet. I actually think you can make the case Beauvillier might have been their most consistently dangerous player throughout the playoffs or throughout the Lightning series. But how many goals did he have in that series? One. Right? That's what I mean. No, we talk about finish. Winner. Yeah, I mean, so Beauvillier stood out. He had one goal. I mean, yeah. Where was Pajot? Yeah. And, you know, Everly, and I Paul thought. Mary was, had seven goals through the first two rounds and, 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 and had zero. Yeah. And Paul Mary round. had some bad puck luck, hit a couple of posts. But he, yeah. wa- I mean, look, Everly, I, I told you, I thought he was a guy they needed. And he had the, the backhand goal, but got a little help from Barzell on that specific play. I mean, Dave, you mentioned the Nelson line. I mean, you could make a case their fourth line was somewhat dangerous. Now, I, you know, they may be effective, not as dangerous scoring wise. They were effective in terms of what they wanted to do. I thought their star players, and you can define star however you want. Barzell, I thought, got better as the series went on. I thought their stars, and I'm using that in quotations, underperformed. And we can say the Lightning had a lot to do with that. I'm, I'm granting you that. But the Lightning stars found a way to contribute more than theirs, and that was the difference. You're right. They, they finished on a few plays, but not enough. Komarov had a number of opportunities, didn't finish. Yeah. And I just thought that, you know, Josh Bailey's a playoff. I mean, look at Josh Bailey's numbers in the playoffs over the last couple of years. He's dynamite. He just wasn't he wasn't dynamic with Brock Nelson for longer stretches than they needed to be. Because we talked about it before the series started. We were we were looking at Brock Nelson and saying, man, this guy always handles the lightning and he's got that big wrist shot and he can just fire the puck and he had looks he just didn't finish and you know Barry Trotz and his system they probably went as far as it could go with how they were going to be playing 
And I don't know what it's going to take for them to get over the hump. Maybe it's just going to be not facing the Tampa Bay Lightning in the playoffs. That also could be it. But I was impressed with their goaltending. Varlamov he was really good. Varlamov was, was really good. In I don't series. think he let in a bad goal. I don't think he let in a bad goal. And he still came up short going against Andre Vasilevsky. That's how good he was. You know, people keep talking about Carey Price, and this is going to be a, a series of, of two elite goaltenders. That that could be. I mean, for sure. Look at the numbers. But how much better is Carey Price going to play than Varlamov? I thought Varlamov was outstanding. Carey Price, a better goaltender for sure, but we're talking about in the moment playing well at the time. Yeah, Varlamov was fantastic, and that was a serious question mark I had coming into the series. He certainly... Uh, played well but to me it, it came down to do you have enough guys who can finish for me Dave I know it's a simple way of looking at it the numbers suggest they don't and the eye test they had chances they buzzed around they didn't do enough with those chances and that's something they're gonna have to reflect on in the offseason and see if they can address it so I'm gonna give you one specific example here and I want to go to the the right game to get his numbers exactly right because I thought Adam Pellick who is a tremendous defenseman very good very good very good I thought he had a really good series mm -hmm. so most of the time that Point and Kucherov were out on the ice Adam Pellick was out on the ice and he battled he made so many good plays defensively to help the Islanders avoid trouble Yet, at the end of the series, he finished minus two. And how many points did Kucherov and point finish with? I know a lot came on the power play, and maybe Pellick wasn't out for all of those all of those goals the Islanders allowed when the Lightning were on the power play, and, and Point and Kucherov were, were cashing in. But five on five... Unless I'm mistaken, most of the times that, and it was point, because Kucherov had a big series in terms of assists, but didn't score. But when point was putting the puck in the net, most of the time, Pellick was out there. Mm -hmm. And the one that comes to mind specifically was the goal that point scored in game six, where he's battling with Pellick. And yeah. Pellick is doing everything he can <laughs> to try and stop point, and point still scores. So here's a guy in the Islanders, probably their best defensive defenseman. Yeah. And as Scott Lachlan mentioned when we had him on during the series, maybe a, a defenseman on Team Canada in the Olympics next year. I wouldn't be surprised if that turns out to be the case. Probably should be in the conversation for the Norris moving forward. That's, that's the level at which he plays. And yet, I think when you look at the series as a whole, Braden Point got the upper hand. Yep. On Pellick. He did. And maybe that kind of sums up what you're saying, which is structure, 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 disrupt, defend, take away chances, don't let the other top guys on, on or the guys who are the top players on the other side beat you. You can do it for like 90% of the time, but that last 10% can prove to be the difference between winning and losing a playoff It's exactly series. it. That's exactly it. And I think we've seen it throughout the playoffs the last two years. Sometimes points had games where he's been more dominant and more series that he's he's been – other series where he's been more dominant. But all it takes for elite players 
is an opportunity. And I think yeah. we saw that in this series against the Islanders. The Like, if not for Pellick, maybe the Islanders would have effectively defended against Point and Kucherov 75% of the time. Yeah, for sure. With Pellick, it got to 90%. Sure. <laughs> but he couldn't, no he couldn't single-handedly, and I'm not just putting it on him, it's a five-man yeah. unit defending. But you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the guy Trotz wanted out there. He gave him that assignment. And by any measure, he did a terrific job but it still wasn't enough. I mean, it speaks to how elite Point and Kucherov are. And I know we're specifically talking about Point, but this is the conundrum I think the Canadians are going to run into. There's been a lot of talk about how they're going to match up against the Point line. And it looks like the Deneau line, Dave, is going to get the bulk of that assignment. They've, yeah. done, they've done the heavy lifting defensively uh, in previous series against some really good lines. But I think it's fair to say he hasn't seen a line like Pilat, Point, and Kucherov. Well, and let's see what Kucherov's effectiveness is. Now he was he was quite straightforward when he met with. What the are you media talking about, Dave? He wasn't. He wasn't I'm injured. Not what injured. are you talking about? I'm not injured. <laughs> but he did miss all of Game Six yes. except for one shift. And if we're speaking honestly, I, I don't think he was his usual dynamic self in Game Seven. But having him out there on the ice was better than not having him out there on the ice. Yeah, like, you you still have to respect Kucherov. Let, let's just say he's 75%. And, and, folks, I have no idea where he is health-wise. Let's just call it 75%. A guy who's that skilled with his vision and his passing just, again, needs a couple of looks, and he's already impacted the game. So if you're the Canadians, Dave, and you're Shea Weber – and you're that back end, you are going to try and be as physical as possible with, with Kucherov, assuming you can. But all it's going to take is a play here, a breakdown there, and Kucherov will make the right play, particularly on the power play. Yeah, which is why he didn't have a power play in correct. Game 7, so he didn't correct. get to, to do his thing. Yes, so that is something to keep an eye on as well. But I think for Braden Points... The question was asked yesterday about his speed and why he went where he was in the draft a couple years back because his speed wasn't, quote-unquote, maybe elite. Boy, Dave, it is. I mean, he skates as fast with the puck as he does maybe without. And the fact that he can make high-level plays at the right time speaks to how good he is and his hockey IQ. And I think he and Kucherov, it's probably one of the reasons why they gel so well is they're both very skilled, but it feels like they're thinking a couple of steps ahead of the play. And that's going to be a tough matchup, I think, for the Canadians to deal with. But I, I think that's going to be one of the things that's going to be a lot of fun to watch because the Canadians' back end, it's not fast. I mean, it can be physical. We know about Shea Weber. He's going to be playing a ton in this series. Uh, Petrie as well. But they're not the fastest back end. And I think that's something when we talk about structure – the Canadians are going to want to play their structure as well as they can in part because of maybe the lack of foot speed they have on the back end. But also, too, they understand that, that Braden Point and a lot of these forwards on the Lightning, they get to the edge, they get to the outside, they can break it back to the middle with a lot of pace and skill. And now you put a lot of pressure on Carey Price, who's been good, very good. But again, I don't think he's seen a team like the Lightning top to bottom. Well, do you want to get into the Canadians then? We might have as well. We, have we kind of put Well, I tell you uh, what, let's do this. Let's take a break, and then we'll get to some questions. We'll get to the Canadians at yeah. Bolts Radio. 
We know a lot of people want to know about the Canadians, what to expect. Hit us up on Twitter, as I said, at Bolts Radio, at Greg Linelli, at Dave Michigan. Y'all, Armina is going to be playing. It, well, I shouldn't say that. Game time decision. He's taking a private jet down to Tampa right now after getting clearance, dealing with the uh, COVID protocols. We'll see how that pans out tonight. Game's going to start a little after 8 o'clock. You can listen to all the action right here on Lightning Power Play. Join us inside Emily Arena during each of our road playoff games for the official Tampa Bay Lightning Watch Party presented by Bud Light. Enjoy live entertainment, appearances from Thunderbug, giveaways, concession specials, and more. Tickets are just $10 with a portion of the proceeds benefiting Lightning Foundation charities. Pods of one to six people are available and doors open 75 minutes before scheduled puck drop. For more details and to purchase your tickets, go to tampabaylightning.com slash playoff parties. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Did you see Barry Trotz took a little shot at the Lightning crowd, Dave? Said it was kind of quiet before the goal. I, I was telling people, especially towards the end of that game, I had my headsets off. I just wanted to kind of take it in. It was deafening. I couldn't hear a thing. Yeah. I can only imagine what that was like on the ice. Yeah, I know, you know there was a lot of talk from some of the fans on the other side about the noisemakers. They make you chuckle, it's don't like, they, Dave, the fans? It's not they? like the noisemakers <laughs> were given out because the fans didn't know how to be noisy without them. It added to the noise. If there were no noisemakers, the building still would have been really loud. It was just louder with the mm. noisemakers. I guess it's that, amazing. that that it was subtle loud, distinction but... is is lost. I had a lot particularly of particularly people... when when they had to think about the fact that their team lost game seven. So, yeah, that's for what, sure. That's what a lot of the Islander fans focused on. I guess I had a lot of people on the last call, Dave, chime in and they said they were at the game and it was the loudest they've ever heard that building. And I said, all right, they may be prisoners of the moment, but you know what? Yeah. Well, and, ticket holders, and, that's fine. But we can compare apples to apples because the Lightning, if, as long as I can remember during this current run, usually what they give out for home playoff games are some kind of noisemaker, whether it's yeah. the, the clacker or I don't even know how to describe them, the things you inflate and <laughs> slam together. A few of those have ended up in the, in the – the car after games when my family is gone and they've stayed there for a little bit. And then I think one home game this year, they handed out towels, but that's the exception. That's what the lightning do. They, they hand out Listen, items that make noise. You don't have to apologize for no. what you do as a fan base to celebrate your team. I, the, the players felt it. John Cooper was pumped. In fact, yeah. John Cooper was so pumped. He's helping Montreal has a, a full yes. house. <laughs> yes. But my point is that even if we're comparing yeah. a crowd with some kind of noisemaker yes. to to the Game 7 crowd with some kind of noisemaker, the Game 7 Listen, crowd was louder. I'm still waiting for somebody to, to whip out the whoopee cushion as as their <laughs> as their prop. That would be fantastic if that. Maybe the Islanders will do that. Who knows? But But look, the on. the Islander fans definitely showed up during this postseason yes. and I, I think that there is some question as to whether the Islanders may be starting next season still at the Nassau Coliseum it's possible they will play some games there before their new building is open mm -hmm. 
but they will not be playing any more playoff games in that building. And I thought that I thought the Islanders gave their fans a terrific send off. Sure. They won their last two home games there in the yeah. playoffs, both in incredibly dramatic fashion. I tell you what, the whole Kucherov and the lightning over the cap thing just won't go away, and that's to be expected. Why do you keep picking at that scab? You're. Or, or is it finding I, you? Or are you looking I, for hey, it? Hey, I'm a talk show host. It's what I do. Okay. I, you know, but no. I, I, well, I, let's talk about the Canadians then, because so I think a lot of Lighting fans are like, well, how did this team go from 18th in the league? In fact, the Rangers and Dallas Stars finished with more points than the Canadians during the regular yeah. season, yet missed the playoffs because they were playing in other divisions. So, and how did this team get to the Stanley Cup final? And how did this team beat Vegas? So, which tied with Colorado for the most points in the regular season. Let's face it. They were aided in large part by the the COVID regulations and the protocols and the division. This was not a playoff team. They just weren't. They were they I think they finished the year on a five-game losing streak. How, I mean, what do you mean uh, they were aided by the COVID well, just uh, competing in a different division. Oh, you know, okay. Had the, way the, the way the yes. divisions were set up. The okay. way that it, because of COVID and you know proximity with playing in a Canadian division. I mean, I think most people who observe this team would have said yes. I mean, they look. They fire their coach. They switch things up. Mark Bergevin wasn't pleased with where his team was, and a lot of things really had to go right for them just to get into the playoffs. But once they got into the playoffs, they found something. Well, and not you, once. The fifth game, they were down three-one. That's right. It's to good Toronto. Point. That's a good point. And a couple of crooked scores there that they lost in that first-round series. They lost game two five-one. They lost game four at home four nothing. And it looked like they were going to be out of the playoffs fairly quickly. They scored. What was it? A total of four goals in the first four games. And so people are saying, ah, Canadians I can't match up. Toronto's gonna Toronto's gonna advance mm-hmm. for the first time since whenever it was, oh four. Like that was the storyline going into game five, and the Canadians then just took off. They've gone eleven and two starting with the fifth game in the Toronto series. Yep. And so the question is, how have they done it? So some of this, some of this, I think we go back to last year in the bubble. And I know it was a different team. They didn't have Cole Caulfield. They didn't have Eric Stahl. They didn't have Corey Perry. They didn't have Tyler Toffoli. They didn't have Josh Anderson. Yeah, you know, they definitely, they definitely changed their roster around. They acquired Stahl at the deadline. They also acquired Eric Gustafson and John Merrill at the deadline, who are who are D five and D six. For them right now in addition to the other guys I mentioned who came during the offseason but the way the Canadians played in the bubble last year that helped them beat Pittsburgh in the play-in and take Philadelphia to six games that template is what they are using to some extent even though it's a, a different roster this year they are really really strong defensively they are limiting time and space they are limiting shots and scoring chances Carey Price is playing really well, so he's making all the saves that you would expect him to make, and then he's 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 throwing in some 10-bellers when the Canadians have a breakdown, which is not often. And they are capitalizing on their offensive chances and and winning a lot of low-scoring games. You talk about the Islanders or the Canadians? 
Well, this is how the Canadians. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Right. But this right, is how the Canadians did it exactly last it. Yeah. year in the bubble. Right. right. And I think that now that they are back in the playoffs, the players that that tasted some success playing this way last year in the bubble understand that this is a sort of way you can play to have success in the playoffs. And obviously, it didn't work for them well at the beginning of the Toronto series. But I'm reminded of some of the comments that I heard from from the folks on the Columbus side after the Blue Jackets swept the lightning. And what what I heard afterward was that when the Blue Jackets rallied to win game one, but then especially as they got into game two and the lightning were struggling to generate much of anything, like John Tortorella put together a game plan and said, this is how we're going to need to play to win. But once you start doing it and seeing success and feeling success, what you're hearing now becomes belief. Mm-hmm. And that belief breeds into your confidence. And now you're a confident team that believes 100% in what you're doing and you take off. And I think there's an element of that without having watched every minute of every game that they've played this year in the playoffs and frankly not really watching much of their their regular season at all. What you can see when you do watch them is a team that is completely in sync, completely dialed in, completely bought in and understanding what they need to do to have success. And I think we hear that from the Lightning a lot too, like the recipe, right? What they need to do to have success. So they are a really, really structured strong defensive team like the islanders you are correct greg adding to that their penalty kill has been lights out so they allowed three power play goals in the first four games of the toronto series they have not allowed a power play goal since that's 13 straight games without allowing a power play goal And what's interesting greg is i was looking at their regular season numbers their penalty kill was kind of meza meza during the regular season they were at 78.5 percent now look they were facing toronto they were facing edmonton right like they were facing some teams that had really good power plays but they've taken it to a whole other level in the playoffs and i think that the fact that vegas had been struggling on the power play coming into that series the the canadians were able to further (laughs) add to the level of frustration and lack of confidence that Vegas had in the power play to the point that if you watched Vegas get a power play in the Montreal series, particularly later in the series, it almost looked like they had no idea what they even were supposed to do with the puck. I mean, just no confidence whatsoever for the power play unit and and tons of confidence for the penalty kill unit. So that's part of it. That helps your team defense when you're not allowing goals when the other team gets a power play but the other big part of it I I have two other big parts here and I haven't even mentioned Carey Price which which so maybe the third part would be him they have been able to score a lot of goals in transition with their speed now you are right their defense is not necessarily like super speedy mobile where they're like jumping in the play maybe like vegas's d like how many goals did petrangelo score from the circle to the front of the net for vegas you see weber usually unloading from the point you see petrie unloading from the point their top four are weber and petrie on the right and ben Sherratt and joel edmondson who won a cup 
with the Blues with Pat Maroon in 2019. Those are their top four D, and they tend to play a lot. The, the Canadians do not typically play D5 and D6, Merrill and Gustafson, as much as the top four. But they are bombing away from the point. They're not, they're not jumping in the play as much. But what the Canadians do have is speed and transition. And this has gone back a few years now. I mean, we've seen this from them when Claude Julien was the head coach. They have guys who can scoot up front. Caulfield certainly is one. Suzuki, Kakaniemi. Paul Byron scored a breakaway goal. Gallagher has that one, speed. One game of the, yep. the Vegas series. Yep. Gallagher Gallagher is certainly a, a guy who can go to the front of the net, too, and create problems, yeah. which has kind of been his M.O. But I think that if you go back and look at the goals that Montreal scored, they didn't score a lot against Vegas. They scored enough. So many of them were in transition, either breakaways or like a partial breakaway and a rebound or like a guy is in the clear and and Vegas has to converge on him and it goes across to somebody else who's open. The winning goal in overtime in game six, it looks like it's okay. It's a three-on-three for Vegas. All of a sudden, it turns into a three-on-two. Somebody somebody had a tracking problem for Vegas, and Lekkonen is open on the wing. So that's not how they've scored all of their goals through the playoffs, but I think their ability to catch the other team and 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 get a chance in transition and then bury that chance has been a big part of why they've been able to score some some really important goals. So that is something the Lightning are going to have to be wary of and frankly handle a lot better than Vegas did. Vegas got caught in transition far too often and the Canadians killed them, killed them on those plays. I mean, I remember there was the one game that Vegas the Anderson goal where where Fleury lost the puck behind the net that was at the end of the third period and the game went into overtime but what happened earlier in the game Vegas is completely dominating dominating the game and they score first they finally break through early in the second within a minute Caulfield gets a breakaway and scores I mean, that's a huge goal. I know Vegas ended up going back up 2-1, to one, and then we had the, the miscue by Flurry at the end of the third period. But the Canadians have been doing it regularly, at least against Vegas. They for sure did it regularly through that series. And that is something the Lightning are going to have to really be wary of and handle well. Now, the Lightning have seen some teams that can scoot up front, notably Florida and Carolina for sure. And the Islanders had some fast players. That has been a big key, at least in the Vegas series for Montreal. And then the other part, which goes back to game five of the Toronto series. And this isn't a be-all, end-all, but it's really helped the Canadians. In only two of the 13 games that the Canadians have played, have they fallen behind. They've either been tied or ahead in 11 of the 13 games. Now, one of those games they ended up losing in overtime. So they were behind for the final score, but they led the whole way. That was game four against Vegas. One of the two games where they were not ahead, they ended up winning. That was the game three where Anderson scored in overtime. You talk about a recipe for success. You give a team that can defend well a chance to play with the lead or tied and not force them to play catch up. Yep. 
That has been a huge key for the Canadians. And then, of course, Price, who has been solid and sensational both in in this playoff year. I watched the overtime in the Toronto series. I watched both overtimes. The Canadians won overtime in Game 5 and Game 6. They scored really early in overtime in Game 5. Again, off the rush, it was like a 2-on-0. The, the Leafs had a turnover, the offensive blue line. But Game 6 in Montreal, Carey Price was phenomenal doesn't even do it justice i mean he was he was season saving literally for the canadians on like seven or eight chances the leafs had that's how good he was in overtime where a goal against ends montreal season and then kakaniemi ends up scoring to to win the game for for montreal that was fairly late in the first overtime so that's my thumbnail sketch on the Canadians. They they D up. Their penalty kill has been great. Price has been outstanding. They've got some guys who can really burn you in transition and have been really effective at burying the chances that they've gotten in transition. And they've given themselves the chance to play either even or ahead during much of this strong run. Which you give them credit for, right? It's a lot. It's a lot like the Islanders from that standpoint. They're better with the lead, uh, as I've told you before. I don't know about the skill level and compare it to the high end players for the Islanders, but Caulfield, I think, has given them a different dynamic. To their credit, they have finished. I think that's the other thing. They finished when they had some of those chances. Dave, you mentioned right. breakaways, but the chances breakaways. they're getting are are phenomenal. Yeah, breakaways. So we'll see. Yeah, so we'll I mean, Kakaniemi's goal in in Game Five, I think it was their first two shots in the game, like halfway through the first period. Yeah. But it's a breakaway for Anderson, and Flurry makes the save. Sure, Kakaniemi comes up and puts it into an open net of the rebound. Like I mean, like the whole playoffs, but like the Islanders series, puck management will be key, because if part of what fuels Montreal's offense is the other team turning the puck over. And, you know, getting some of these breakaways, Dave, or getting a partial breakaway, that's something the Lightning are going to have to be aware of. The good news is they just got done playing a series against a team that's kind of like that. Every team is different. We understand that. But I think certainly there are some similarities between the two. Busta Beak says, other than Price, what is something that Montreal brings to the table that Florida, Carolina, or the Isles do not? Well, they are like Florida. I know you and Brian Engblom talked about this a lot, that that quick pass out of the zone, the, mm-hmm. the high forward who flies the zone as soon as the puck might be getting turned over. I think that's how Montreal has been able to to stretch the ice and get some looks. And the Lightning did see that in the Florida series. I mean, how many times was Huberto up ice in that series? Yeah. Looking for, for that sure. quick outlet. For sure. Uh, sports ball fan says, what type of game should we be expecting for Montreal's defensemen? We know the Bolts like having their defense join the rush and pinch. So should we expect them to do the same or do they stay at home more often? Well, I didn't really answer Busta Beak's question. What do the Canadians bring that the other three teams didn't? I think that, look, those other three teams are good teams. So they do some things really well and the Canadians do some of the same things well. Like the, the Panthers were really quick and moving the puck up the ice i think the canadians are like them the canadians are super structured like the islanders the canadians get really good goaltending like the islanders did in yep. that series so i mean it's not like the canadians have like 
broken the mold and they're some like completely foreign entity that is completely different from these three other really really good teams all four teams are good and they share some some common denominators but i think the formula that montreal has used is the one that that i just detailed so maybe you could say that they have deed up better than any of the other teams the lighting have seen i think that's that's fair to say because as structured as the islanders are they gave up some goals in the playoffs even prior to seeing the lightning and maybe the pk is a bit better than anything we've seen at least the way they're going now although the islanders that was all the talk yeah. coming into that series was how good they were i'm wondering if this. well is the islanders different. penalty kill percentage had been bad their key was they didn't take a lot of penalties That's montreal right. has taken they haven't taken as many as the lightning leading to shorthanded situations so far in the playoffs they've taken a fair number it's just they've been lights out at, at killing them off but i will say this i don't think as good as toronto's power play is i don't think the canadians penalty kill has seen a power play to this point like the lightning's power play assuming kucherov can be his usual self would agree with that um just to reiterate sports ball fans question about montreal's defense yeah, sorry about that what should we expect from them? Are they going to pinch or are they going to stay at home more often? They make a good first pass out of the D zone. They're tough. Petrie will skate it out. I mean, Petrie's a good skater. Yeah, Petrie's got offensive ability. He does. He's a good offensive he had, player. He had 12 yeah. goals this year. Yeah, he is. I think that was third among NHL defensemen right. in, in goals. But his goals, like he's not – look, I'll, I may be proven wrong tonight. Maybe he's going to score from the hash marks. Usually he's firing from the point, and if it's not going in, it's getting tipped. I think Kak and Niemi, I keep mentioning him, he has five goals in the playoffs, and he had five goals throughout the whole regular season, which tells you something. He was scratched for the first game of the playoffs, actually, yeah. in that Toronto series. But Kak and Niemi scored a goal, the first goal of the Winnipeg series. Like, Petrie takes a shot from the point, and Kakaniemi's at the side of the net and tips it in. So I think Petrie generates a lot of offense with his shot from the blue line. Champa Bay Chris says, so like the Islanders, we're seeing this Montreal team for the first time all season, but do you think the fact that this is a division opponent and goalie that we typically see many times a year and are familiar with will help? Well, the Lightning are pretty familiar with the Islanders. I mean, they had played them last September. And I don't know. I mean, did you feel there was a feeling out process in game one? I think the Lightning didn't play very well in game one. I don't know if it was a feeling out process. No, I thought. But they've I never was... seen they've never seen Caulfield before. And I think some of these guys are farther along. Like, I think Suzuki and Kakaniemi have benefited from yeah. two playoff runs now, which have all happened since the last time the Lightning played these guys. There, There's something to be said for this is a different Montreal team than the one that Tampa Bay played whenever it was for sure. But is there some idea of how Carey Price plays in net? Yeah. And Lightning have had some success against him, Dave. And I'm not saying that's going to happen here, but going against Carey Price shouldn't be a shock. Going against Shea Weber, you know, and, and what he does back there shouldn't be a shock. So, I, I think it helps. Let's put it that way. I don't think there's going to be a ton of 
a filling out process. There could be. And I think after game one, you'll see more adjustments than yeah. in between the other games. But we'll see how that plays out. Um, this question comes from Jake Ricker. He says, a lot of people are talking about how Josh Anderson was a big part of the Blue Jackets' success against Tampa in 2019. Do you think he could have the same effect on this series again? I think this is a different Lightning team. Anderson is a guy who's always played well against the Lightning, predating the 2019 series. He's a big, strong power forward who can skate and can shoot. I mean, the goal he scored in game one of that yeah. 2019 series, the shorthanded goal, uh, that was that was a great shot. He's had a weird year in that, so he had a lot of injury trouble last year, only played 20-some-odd games with Columbus and had, a, I think, a little bit of a contract squabble, so they moved him to Montreal. That was the Max Domi trade. I think there were some conditioning issues as well. And, Maybe so. I, I can't speak to that. But he had, a, he had, by any measure, a pretty good offensive regular season. He had 17 goals. But he scored in the very first game of the playoffs – which Montreal won, by the way, that they beat Toronto in in that first game, and then he did not score again until the two goals that he scored in the Vegas series, yep. the come from behind win. So he was taking a lot of flack that he had not scored from game one of the Toronto series through game two of the Vegas series, but. You know, he made a good play in game five. That was the cock and the Emmy goal that I talked about because Anderson made that play because he got behind the defense and forced a save from Flurry, and the rebound ends up in an open net for cock and the Emmy. So, yeah, I think Anderson is a key for both teams. <laughs> Anderson is a key for Montreal that he can play the way that he can, and he's a key for the Lightning to try and – limit his effectiveness in terms of the muscle that he brings. He and Corey Perry both, and Eric Stahl too, I'll, I'll add him in there, like they're a handful in front of the net and very hard on – they can be hard on pucks too when they when they cycle in the offensive zone. We're not even talking about Toffoli who had a phenomenal yeah. – He, he to me, was always a little bit more of a goal scorer yeah. than – like, not that Anderson and, and I mean, Eric Stahl, certainly earlier in his career, not even that long ago. I think mean, he had 40-some-odd goals in Minnesota a couple of years yep. ago. The thing about, you mentioned Stahl and But Toffoli, Toffoli is more of, like, he can win puck battles, but but he's a guy who can kind of get loose and get a puck, and it's in the net. The Perry dynamic is going to be interesting. Anderson stall because those guys aren't very fast either though and that's going to be interesting to see if things get going the other way when they're on the ice does that become a matchup problem we saw perry a little bit obviously in the stars last year against tampa bay he was pretty good but i think it's uh, a situation where you know uh, some older guys that play a, a gritty style but yeah. certainly not as fast as they used to be and I, i'm curious to see the lightning's pace through the neutral zone if that gives them some problems too. well uh, yes for them but they do roll four lines i was looking at their ice time through the playoffs greg and i know that they've made some changes at, at the forward position some due to injury some due to coach's decision caulfield clearly is is now in to stay as he should be he's having a, a great playoff but 
let's watch if the series goes long what that means for the four defensemen because d5 and d6 merrill and gustafson are not playing a lot there are some games where they play less than 10 minutes the other four do a lot of heavy lifting yep and whether it means that they're having to spend a lot of time in their own zone if the lightning are on their game or they're having to chase or they take some physical punishment i mean the lightning can grind you down too whether it's the Yanni Gord line or Kalorn or Maroon. I mean, the Lightning the lightning can deliver some punishment on the forecheck. It's not just speed and skill. Like, they have, they have a, a much more multifaceted team now, right? Like, that's what we've been talking about the last couple of years. So let's see what that means for these 4D that L- – that have been leaned on a lot by Montreal yes. to this point and have come through with flying colors. Last question, Dave. LG21 says, random question, but any idea why the NHL didn't put playoffs slash final templates on the ice? I have no idea. Yeah, I, don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't. That's a good, I mean, it's a good question. I just don't know. Maybe it's, would that affect the ice in, in any way? Well, the turnaround was pretty quick, too. Yeah. Last game was Friday, and they had to turn it around for for monday maybe that's something i don't actually know i should how long it takes from beginning to end to to add something but maybe two days and and the teams practiced yesterday on that ice so maybe the the time in between game two and game five particularly if they know there is going to be a game five both Mm -hmm. teams get a win early in the series then then they'll put that in that would be my best guess all right thank you for all the questions everybody coming up next we've got the stanley cup media day from yesterday make sure you keep it tuned there for all yeah that there's stuff. like an hour's worth of audio <laughs> yeah it's good stuff. It was a lot